Hi, I'm Mari Frank, host of Privacy Piracy, which airs every Monday morning at 8 a.m., and Fighting for Love, which airs at 8.30 a.m. Thank you for listening to all programs on KUCI. This week is Fun Drive Week. All of us hosts and DJs pledge our commitment to bring you great music, all great public affairs shows, and 24-7. We love to give you the gift of great listening. So now we're asking you to give back to us and give to the station to support all your favorite shows. So please pledge your tax-deductible donation to continue all our great programs. You may pledge online or call right here. When you call in your gift, you will also be eligible to receive a pledge gift back from KUCI. But most of all, you will help to continue the great shows that air 24-7. So thank you for calling right now, 824-5824 or UCI-KUCI. That's 824-5824. And please make your tax-deductible donation right now. Call UCI-KUCI-824-5824. And if you enjoy our shows, please mention your pledging for privacy, piracy, or fighting for love. Thanks. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer. We've enjoyed bringing this show since 2005. Your host is Mari Frank, a local attorney since 1985. She's a certified information privacy professional. Mari's testified many times on privacy issues in Congress and the California legislature. You may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, The O'Reilly Factor, and many more shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Mari, what's our show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, this morning our show is about activism, revisioning activism, which is the name of this wonderful book that I've been reading. It's called Revisioning Activism, Bringing Depth, Dialogue, and Diversity to Individual and Social Change. And this is by David Bedrick, J.D. Let me tell you a little bit about him. He actually was on our other show, Fighting for Love. And so he is a faculty member of the Process Work Institute, and he spent eight years on the faculty of the University of Phoenix. He speaks on topics of shame, dreams, weight loss, social injustice, and alternative psychological paradigms. He's the author of Talking Back to Dr. Phil, which we talked about before on our show, and he blogs for Psychology Today and the Huffington Post, and he counsels people internationally. His latest book that I just mentioned is Revisioning Activism, Bringing Depth, Dialogue, and Diversity to Individual and Social Change. You can learn more about him at our website at privacypiracy.org and also at his website at davidbedrick, that's B-E-D-R-I-C-K, 
www.thepurpleshow.com. David, thank you so much for joining us this morning. It's a pleasure being here to talk to you again, Mari. Yeah, so, you know, I thought it would be great to talk about it on this show, because this show talks about privacy, liberty, and social important things of social importance and Boy, this book has a lot about that as well. So why is it that you wrote this book, David? Mm, This is a great question. I call myself a psychological activist. And in my own history, my own personal history, if I can say, I grew up in a Jewish home, but it was a violent home. I had a violent father and then a mother who was relatively disempowered. Disempowered means that she couldn't say, I saw that. She couldn't say, she couldn't witness, I say, honestly, the, the violence. And many people know that psychologically when they're hurt, particularly as children. There's not a person who's on the other side who says, I saw that, that was wrong, I get it, I don't deny that. I also felt the same way about social injustice because so much, too much of the world says, I didn't see that, it's not that big a deal, it's not really happening, racism doesn't exist, that's not a sexist issue, etc. That domestic violence didn't happen. So I saw my own personal history mirrored in the social situation and wanted to correct that if I could. I wanted to say as a person, a citizen, I see that. I see the the uh, sexual assault and the uh, and the dismissal of sexual violence in the workplace. I wanted to be a witness, unlike I had in my own family. Yeah. So, so is, tell us a little bit more about what you mean by psychological activism. Are you asking us all to be activists in psychological activism? Yes, I really am. And people can do that in in general in one of a few ways. One way is when you think of your own problems to those listeners, whether that's a weight problem, whether that's the problem in my relationship, whether that's my asthma, whatever the problems people have, whether it's my addiction, please don't only think of those as personal and individual problems. Most of us do that because the most of the healing paradigms look at us as individuals. I go to my therapist or my doctor, my therapist says, oh, David, you have a father issue or you are get too angry but but then he doesn't say oh you're a jewish male getting angry or you're a woman looking at her body and having body shame or you're a woman who's afraid to speak up and the reason why i'm asking woman or jew it could be any other category is that those things that are that we struggle with that are pressed individually are almost never totally individual meaning they're partly individual so in that way working on ourselves we also it's worth looking at them as social issues. And then when we look at the world, we can become better witnesses. In other words, we can look at what's happening in the world, not only by protesting, marching, signing petitions, but by speaking out, whether it's with a family member in a group, with a friend, and say, hmm, that doesn't look right to me. That dismisses a certain injury in the culture. I know the America I live in. I know her shadow around racism and what's happening to the Native peoples, among other things. I don't have to be blind to those things. And now, with the Internet being so easy to write about what you're thinking, whether you're blogging or whether you're commenting on a newspaper article, it's very easy to be able to have some influence on on society by just writing what you want to say. But at the same time, there's that fear of what might happen if you do that. Right? Yeah. What are you thinking? What might mean legally or somebody getting into a conflict with a friend? Yeah. You know, I've, I've had people write something online and then they, they tell what they really feel and then they get attacked 
by everybody else. You know, yeah. they get shamed or they get attacked yeah. for for expressing what they feel. Um, yeah. And you know, we saw that a lot after the election, right? Yeah. Um, how people felt so there there was such you know polarity in what people were thinking. So on one hand, we've got this incredible ability to to be what you're talking about, psychological, social, you know. Um, activists and and really revision that that activism by being involved and feeling like you have some power but then there's that whole you know other thing about the the fear of repercussions of that it could be even something where the government you know could take over and 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 somehow there'd be repercussions from the government right i mean people are afraid of that so um you've got this this burden of that at at the same time it's a blessing and a burden right that's right to to be an activist means that there always will be some cost there's a cost to freedom someone might say and the cost in the cases you're talking in terms of speaking up one cost is that somebody won't like it if you enter the world not just in a relationship if if you and i are having a conflict that's personal or you and i whatever you said something I didn't like, and I, that's a personal relationship. But right. if we're doing it in a public sphere, there'll be some people who will agree with me and some people who will agree with you, regardless right. of who's right or wrong, right? right, right. Some people will say, David, Mari, I've never seen her do that. You're totally wrong. And some people will say, Mari, I can't believe you would do that to your guest, right? So it's a, that belongs. I'm not saying who's right or wrong. It belongs to the outer scene. The polarization you mentioned belongs. What I mean by belongs is it already exists. So outing it bringing it to the fore is a good thing, but right. that means we're in attention. I'm in a dialogue that has conflict and confrontation in it. So to become a psychological activist, one has to develop one's capacity for conflict. That means to be able to take a hit. I don't mean to be, let yourself be abused. Right, Meaning you right. say something to me that's not so pleasant, and I can actually hear what you have to say. Right, that's what right. I mean by taking a hit. And then I can respond. I can say, you, you're really right. I really screwed that one up. Or I can say, you're really off on this one. I want to let me defend myself, Mari. Right. Here's where I think you're missing the point. So I can do one of those two main things. Take the hit and see what you're, the point that you're making about me, or defend myself, give you a shot back, hopefully do that in a respectful enough way where dialogue and conflict get melded together. Because if we're going to enter the world, and it is polarized, we have to learn how to have difficult dialogues across differences, across gender, across power structures, etc., right. and engage and make something out of that, not friendliness and sweetness, but genuine intimate relationship. And you know what ended up happening a lot as I was reading all these things because I I comment because I you know I believe in commenting on what I think, but um, but I ended up being the mediator on a lot of these conversations, saying hey you know it's okay for him to feel as he feels and see it differently and it's okay for you to see it differently, and you know but it it was um, it was really upsetting for many people who got attacked by just saying. Saying how they perceive something, yes. and you know that's that's what's unfortunate is that people don't know how to see or read something without attacking the person rather right. than the the situation. You know, it's a huge issue. How do you? What do we take personally? What do we not? If you say to me, David, as a man. You have just treated me improperly as a woman. That that's not only a pers- not only a personal statement. It doesn't 
let's say personally, let's say I, I was dismissive or hurtful to you. That's a personal part. But when you say, as a man, David, this is how, or you say, men, if you say, David, men always treat me a certain way. <laughs> you're not saying that, just using an example, right? Men often treat me a certain way. You're not just saying to me, David, please speak about yourself only. Mari, I'm never like that. I'm the perfect good man no matter what, right? You're not saying to, t- whether I think that or not, you're not saying that to me. You're saying, please stand in the place of many men who exhibit a certain attitude and behavior towards women. Take some responsibility. Respond to me as if you are part of that system because you are. And that's a different role than I have to, in my moral view, to say, huh, I see. I know I have certain privileges as a man. I know what that looks like. I get what you're talking about. Here's why you might feel that way. Let me hear more. I can now respond not only a personal way. Oh my gosh, how could you say that to me? I'm now going to stand in a social place as a man, not only David, around gender, around race. Very, very rare that people actually will do that. Very rare will a white person say, well, before I get into whether I'm a good or bad white person, I have racism in me or not, let me tell you what a good guy I am, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> and it's right. like, we're not asking you whether you're a good guy, David, about mm-hmm. race. We're asking you to talk about what it's like to be a white person relative to racism in our country. And I'm challenging you about that. Can you please take some responsibility? There is racism in the world. It would be nice if somebody, if some white person said, it's a little bit me too. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk a little bit about social bias because, mm-hmm. you know, I I worry, especially with privacy, where everybody's putting us into profiles, right? They're, they're collecting data about us, yeah. whether it's correct or not, and they're putting us into categories. Yeah. Um, and like you were talking about, you know, a white female certain age, right? That's how they're marketing to us, right? Very, very much and, so. And so, um, so let's talk about social bias and, you know, how it's often unseen in psychological ways. You know, let's talk about that to us a little bit. Wow, that's a big topic. I, I'm, I just, I'm, I'm thinking of different directions to go. Cause well, go in all of them. It's okay. Oh, it's, I'll go, I'll go <laughs> as many as I can. I mean, first of all, many social biases are internalized. They become part of the person's psychology. So it's not, un, it's not uncommon for me to have a client who's 55 years old and said, I would love to have traveled more, uh, changed professions, um, changed my kind of re- the relationship I'm in, lived differently, but I'm 55 years old. Mm. Does that mean to me? That means that that person has taken the idea of age, right? maybe literal, literal things. I'm not saying that a person shouldn't consider their age and their finances and things, but often psychologically that person has an internalized ageism. They're saying the idea of age regardless of how I feel, how healthy I am, how much finance I have, tells me I can't do certain things. Right. So in that case, they've taken a social bias when you're 55 as a man or as a woman or whatever it's going to be. Um, that means certain things about what you're free to do, what you're capable of doing. That person has internalized that, made that part of their personal psychology and the reasons why they're unfree. So people do that around, I'm giving you age as an example, but people certainly do that about around uh, um, uh, gender and race for women body image is a huge social bias. There's a social bias. A woman should look in a certain way, right. more or less whatever thin means, right? Means right. Whatever that, we mostly, most of us can define that by looking at someone, that's that person's thin, that person's not thin, or worse, we have, we have words, or that person's fat, or that person's obese. And then, then women internalize that. So 97% of women have violent things, violent things going on inside of them 
words that they're saying to themselves about their bodies. Where does that come from? Many people say, well, it's just true. I really am 50 yeah. pounds overweight, 30 pounds overweight, etc. But the violence, the, the harshness of it is a social bias about women's bodies mm-hmm. that then gets internalized or hurts that person psychologically. So it exists out in the world, <laughs> and then it exists internally. So it has that psychology to it. They're, they're melded together. It's that social consciousness. Or like, I just, you know, recently in the paper, I read about this woman who was, I think she was a professor or something, a black woman who went into the grocery store out here in California, and um, and she was, fun, you know, fumbling in her purse, I guess, to get her credit card or, or something like that. And, and the woman who the checker said to her oh um are you looking for your your um, food stamps <laughs> uh-huh. right and so the woman was so appalled by this because that was the, that social consciousness right yeah. that race belief that oh well if she's fumbling in her purse she must be looking for food stamps that she actually is suing (laughs) albertson's or whomever it is because of that but that's part of what you're talking about isn't it it's just this this whole consciousness of social consciousness about what people are because of their color because of their race you know, or they say, oh, well, uh, my husband will drive by, and I go, I know that's an Asian driver because he drives like an Asian, which is really another one of these total biases, right? Right, that's right. And you're bringing up a, 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 a potentially more subtle issue also, but it's a really important one. Just like I gave that personal story. I said my father used his belt in, his belt, his belt in this. That was, he was a bad, abusive, violent dude. But then I had a mother who said, no big deal, it didn't really happen. Why are you making a big deal about Mm -hmm. that? I didn't see that happen. So that's, that's a, we know psychologically, most people know psychologically, that's a violence when someone denies, dismisses your injury. It's very, very hurtful. That's why it's so, that example you gave about the the fumbling in the wallet and the food stamps, because somebody might say, it's not that big a deal, it's not that hurtful. What's hurtful about it is exactly that. The right. person who says it's not a big deal. The thing itself is an injury. It's a mistreatment. It's a, it's right. a bias against someone that... that, that and then to a, dismiss it. That was the thing that I think got her so angry when I read about it in the paper. She said, you know, they didn't even apologize. They just said, oh, well, that's what she thought. Instead of saying, oh, my goodness, that's a horrible thing for them to do, you know, and, and really apologize, but they didn't. The dismissal yes. is... As painful in most cases as the initial injury, the dismissal of it. So, so it could be a small initial thing, whatever, I don't know what small means, you know, depending on the, per- the person has to say that subjectively. But you could say something to me that would dismiss my Jewish background. Ah, so Donald Trump and the White House didn't mention Jews and uh, anti-Semitism in the, in, the, in the Holocaust Remembrance Day. That was a, an issue. Right, right, you know? right. So, or that his so, press right? secretary uh, uh, made yeah. a, a comparison of, um, of Syria about uh, using gas and saying that that was, that was worse than the Holocaust. I mean, you know, exactly. <laughs> stupid So then stuff. a person says that, and then I, as a Jewish person, say, oh my gosh, that's terrible. And then somebody else says, why are you making a big deal of it? Right. That's a dismissal. That, right. that why are you making a big deal of it is as hurtful. It's, 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 
it's inflammatory. It makes people get crazy. It makes people so upset that the, the dismissal part, it's, it's a the subtle insensitivity. Yes, the insensitivity. Yes. If you don't get, you mean you live in America and wouldn't understand why that particular bias, or you live in this century and you wouldn't understand why making that Holocaust statement would upset people, you should. Yeah, then you become complicit. I'm not saying there, this is an evil thing or there's a mean-spiritedness, but the person who makes that dismissal then becomes complicit. They escalate. They throw fire, gas on the fire even without knowing it, and the conflict gets much hotter. And then they say, what did I do? I was, all I'm doing is trying to make things calmer. <laughs> ah, but, but it's not a calm situation, this flame. The only way to make that flame more yeah. controlled and do less damage is to recognize it's a flame. Oh my gosh, what a hot moment. What an awful moment. This could be very inflaming, everybody. If yeah. I say it that way, people are going to get calmer. If I say it's no big deal, it's going to make flames hotter. <laughs> right, right. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's a lack of compassion, a lack of understanding, a lack of, um, I guess what you would call is social awareness, you know, emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess it's all those things, right? Those are great, those are great words. I love those <laughs> words. Yeah, emotional intelligence for sure, compassion for sure, social awareness. The awareness itself is so is so dim. I'm thinking. I was I was recently talking to somebody about the OJ trial, which is quite a while ago. Yeah. ago and where. Most, many black folk, a large percentage of black folk were happy about the verdict. OJ's not guilty. Right. Say, right or, and, and then many white, many white people, most white people were offended. And that, but the racial difficulty, so, and I'm, I think OJ was likely to be, to have committed those murders, let me just say that. Many people thought that. What is happening then? Why is the difference, are black people dumb about what happened and, and, and that OJ didn't do it? No, there's a social context. You have to know, to be thinking about the social awareness, the context that says the race card, quote-unquote, has been right. used in the opposite way for hundreds of years, meaning, right. and that was right post-Rodney King, right after they watched this guy get beaten and on video, and nobody, white cops got off. So they're seeing race play the other way so many times, white people getting away with murder of black people, black people getting put into jail, arrested, frisked, stopped and frisked overwhelmingly, to then see it happens one other time, why someone would kind of go, yes! Finally, all right, that this is to not understand the, the situation. It's not a personal situation about O.J. anymore at that moment around the race difficulty. It's somebody saying, finally, it went the other way. Yeah, right, right. Now, I'm not, I don't have to agree with the verdict to understand why someone would say, yes, and be happy right. and have a little song in their heart because but, it didn't go the way the right. way established. And so many times it went the other way so unfairly. That's right. And somebody says, finally, 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 race in, made, uh, affected the conclusion in, in terms of getting a black person off, not, not, right. not getting them off. Right, yeah. instead of convicting so, them, right, unfairly. Yeah. So why wouldn't one be happy about that? Again, not, again, that doesn't mean one should agree with the verdict. Right. It just means I can understand why someone might sing in the street. If, you had put, if I got put down over and over and over, year after year after year, and I then did something wrong and, got a, and finally got away with it, I still might think, it's about damn time I cut, somebody cut me, a, <laughs> cut me a break this time. Right, right. An understanding of, the, of that kind of a history, that's a psychological understanding. Many of us know that personally. Right? But we don't necessarily look at the social situation and say, oh, I get it. Yeah. So, so David, 
how does psychology really perpetuate social bias? It, shouldn't it be the opposite? Yeah. I mean, psych- some psychology certainly is doing, is doing some good work, so we should honor that and recognize that. Well, before we critique, because it's a big profession with many different people who are doing good work. But too often, especially mainstream popular psychology, and your, your question makes me think of, I did some research on stress not too long ago. I wrote a chapter of it, about it in my book. And I started looking at, what do people say about stress? It's a huge topic. There's like 10 gazillion articles on stress you could read. I didn't read, I read half a gazillion, <laughs> so yeah. to speak. I read, for, I read for a few days a lot of articles. And, and they all had techniques. Stress is this. It's a terrible thing. It affects our health. It affects the psychology, etc. Here are some good methods to deal with stress. You can meditate. You can relax. You can get massages. You can drink certain teas. You can take breaks. Right. You can sleep better. But yeah. no one mentions, no one talks about the stress of a Native American woman where the mortality rate is much higher. So let's say you're a Native American woman. And the stresses you're experiencing have to do with living on the res and the, mortali- and the infant mortality rate. Right. How, what gets reflected, what gets mirrored back to you when you read that? Or, or, you're, or if you're a black woman, or whatever, or, or, or many different possibilities. He's giving those as examples. What happens when you look as a person who's been marginalized by mainstream culture to popular psychology for some thoughts, you don't get anything that mirrors back what you're really going through. Mm. So that person then says, oh, it's one more way in which society has nothing to say to me, doesn't even know, doesn't even know I exist yet, right. so to speak. So I just pull myself away, and much of psychology ends up being more or less middle-class, white, mainstream psychology. That alone is other things. That alone is difficult. Well, we only have about a minute left. I mean, so what is the answer for all of us to, to real? I guess what's I guess what's the answer? I mean, I got I get it about you know the activism and revisioning activism. So, so if you could leave us with one suggestion, we're sitting on the campus of the University of California. What is one suggestion that will get them excited that they want to read your book? <laughs> the book is amazing. It's great. Right. No, no, no. One did, suggestion that we can do right now, so we can be more socially aware. Yeah, yeah. I would say if you could do one thing, begin making some dialogue, some relationship. It doesn't have to be a, a big relationship in your life with somebody who is different than you. It's across a line of diversity. An older, a younger, a different gender, a, a, a trans person, a black person, a native person. Make some relationship enough to have a dialogue with that person about what it's like to have that difference. So mm-hmm. if I'm a man making a relationship with a woman, then, I'm, then the, the suggestion is not only to talk about me and them, but say, what's it like you being a woman relative to me being a man in this conversation so that you put the hot topic on front street and then see what happens, just see what happens with that. That's beautiful. Well, thank you so much, David. We wanted to thank you for coming on the show and writing this book, Revisioning Activism, Bringing Depth, Dialogue, and Diversity to Individual and Social Change. David Bedrick, you're wonderful. And just give your website, and it's time to go. Sure. Uh, My website is davidbedrick.com. Bedrick is B-E-D-R-I-C-K, like bedrock. Thank you very much, Mari. Great being here. Okay, we'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.
To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Hi, I'm Mari Frank, host of Privacy Piracy, which airs on Mondays at 8 a.m. and Fighting for Love, which airs at 8.30 a.m. Thank you so much for listening to all of our programs on KUCI. This week is Fun Drive Week, and all of us who are hosts and DJs pledge our commitment to bring you great public affairs shows and terrific music. We love to give you the gift of great listening, so now we're asking you to give back to this station to support all your favorite shows. So please pledge your tax-deductible donation to continue all our great programs. You may pledge online at KUCI.org or call right here. When you call in your gift, you will also be eligible to receive a pledge gift back from KUCI. Most of all, you will be able to help continue the the wonderful shows that air 24-7. So thank you for calling right now, 824-5824 or UCI-KUCI. Please make your tax-deductible donation right now by calling UCI-KUCI-824-5824. If you enjoy our shows, please mention your pledging for privacy piracy or fighting for love. Thanks.